Jackson State has been the most active HBCU in the transfer portal, and I think it might be out of necessity. Oh yeah, it's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one. Daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics. Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU Herald Sports editor and contributing writer at USA Today's Saints Wire. We have a nice journey for you, so I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day day and remember just because the mic cuts off does not mean that the journey is over just means it's time to follow me on twitter at south exclusives and the journey i was telling you it wraps up our last stop is discussing the xfl draft and why this means more opportunities for hbcu players now before that we have a double header a two-part a back-to-back discussing the activity within the transfer portal we're going to start off with jackson state then look at the MEAC and how they're completely different from not only Jackson State, but the SWAC as a whole when it comes to how active they choose to be in the transfer portal. But let's start off with the headliner, the team that has been the most active, and it's not really that close. The most active team, the most active HBCU in the transfer portal, according to Hero Sports, is Jackson State. Now, Hero Sports separated into two categories, transfers that went from the FBS, so big schools, right fbs to fcs and then just fcs to fcs right so it was broken down like that and the most active team was jackson state and honestly i do believe that was out of necessity i feel like they kind of had to because it feels like they were the team who lost the most in the transfer portal now i could be wrong right i didn't look at the numbers but when you just think about how much that jackson state has lost in the portal this year especially with the exodus to Colorado, like it just feels like a lot. Maybe it was a bunch of, now I know how much it was. It was 24 players. I don't know how much everybody else lost. 24 players is a lot of players to lose to the portal. That's what the Clarion Ledger reported just last week, that it was 24 players lost since the departure of Coach Sanders. Now, if you're going to lose 24 players and you still want to come back and be a competitive team, you still want to be the top dog, you still want to be the guy that everybody has to beat, right? Because you're still the man until you're not. What do you have to do? You have to go replenish that talent. And they decided to replenish that talent pool in the transfer portal. Now, you lost 24 players. You came in and brought in 26. Now, while 24 feels like it's the most, I'm not sure. I can't be certain. I know that 26 is the most when you're looking at FBS to FCS and then FCS to FCS, right? So let's remember, we're not talking about D2. We're not talking about JUCO ranks. We're only talking about those two categories, players who were in the FBS last year and players who were in the FCS last year. So only talking about Division One athletes in these stats that were brought in. So let's look at the people that lost, that they lost from the portal last year because it was crazy. The wide receiver, the defensive backs, deplenished. Like that, that's that's absolutely decimated when you look at last year to this year. It's crazy how many people you lose, right? Because we look at Kevin Coleman sometimes. I feel like people kind of forget about Coleman because of Hunter. But 
You also see Hunter, right? And then you also have Shane Hooks left, Willie Gaines left. Like, this, people are gone, okay? People are gone. It's, it's crazy how much people left in the wide receiver room and the defensive backfield. So it's, it's completely different. But then you look at defensive line. Gaddy went to the portal after spring practice. You lose your star quarterback and running back to the portal. You look at offensive linemen left, but I don't think there was any prominent names on the offensive line. So we'll skip over them, but they did leave. Then you look at Aubrey Miller leaving in the draft. So he wasn't a portal guy, but he left in the draft. Every single level of your offense and defense has lost somebody to the portal. And pretty important people too, right? You had a start, you had some starting linemen leave, but you replenished that. But then you look back, because if you're going to have people departing, you have to have people coming in, especially if your expectation levels are still your expectation levels, okay? So at quarterback, Jason Brown, Zy McDonald. If we wanted to go to the JUCO ranks, you still have Phillip Short. But essentially, unless Grayson Thompson is the man, your quarterback is going to be a transfer in. You look at running back. That's the one that I think is still kind of up in the air as far as transfer portal goes. But then again, Sevion Wilkerson left at the end of spring practice. You know, you got some guys on the roster already. So I can't I don't think any of them are transfer portal guys, but you do have some players who are already on the roster. And I think McGee is a guy who he he's an athlete. He might play a little running back for you. I know he's primarily he's listed as a wide receiver, but he's more so an athlete, so he might play both. But you have McGee at the wide receiver position, right? Um, you have Alan Walker at, at linebacker. You have Tyus Martin from Colorado. I know people remember that because, A, it was just a second ago, like it was this week. But then also, he came from Colorado, so that was kind of a ha-ha moment. But then you also have Phillip Webb coming in from LSU at the defensive line position. And then probably, the honestly, the gem of it is Isaiah Guthrie because Guthrie is the guy who I'm most excited about of all of them. You have a guy who I believe is going to be a leader on the team. You have a guy who I think is going to be a star on the team. His freshman year at Delaware State, he was so hyped after that. Like, people were still putting him on, they were putting him on a list of, you got to watch this guy. You got to, this is a senior bowl watch list. This is somebody who is a candidate for, like, it wasn't a draft, but just saying draft eligible players. He did all of that as a freshman. People loved Isaiah Guthrie, and now he's bringing that to your secondary at Jackson State. So, and he's gone on and embraced the culture. I love what he's done since he's been at Jackson State. You know, like, he almost feels like a native of Jackson the way that he's moving and operating at least ingratiating himself into the culture. And I think that should be appreciated and acknowledged. So the same way that you can go position by position and look at all the losses, we could do that. But then you go position by position and you have the same amount of gains. Not amount, but you still hit the right pressure points, right? So I think that's important. You lose 24, you gain 26. They were the most active. And you might say that the departures made the arrivals a little bit of a necessity, but either way, you got some really good players. Who cares the reason you had to do it as long as you're getting quality coming into the program? But let's look at the other schools around the HBCU landscape, specifically the MEAC and the SWAC, because the MEAC, it's not just North Carolina Central. At least this year, none of them are really that active in the transfer portal. Let's dive into that as we continue with Locked on HBCU. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Now, Bird Dogs is the most comfortable shorts that I have at the moment. Now, I'm wearing them as we speak because I'm recording this episode in the morning and I'm about to go run some errands, specifically clean out my car. Not washing it, cleaning it out. And I hope that I can get these errands going before the rain comes in. So I have my Bird Dogs on because I've slept in them. I've been around the house in them. The one thing that I have not done is I haven't ran errands in them. 
So now I'm ready to do that and complete my little trifecta of things that I need to do. But these things feel so comfortable. Oh, I've recorded them. So I just got to complete the quartet now. These things are extremely comfortable and you need to get you some as well. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Look at all the different kinds that they have. I promise you that you're going to want to get five, ten, uh, five, ten, eleven of them. OK, well, when you do use the promo code locked on college and you'll get a free Yeti tumbler to drink out of when you're wearing your new favorite shorts march madness is right around the corner if you want to win your office pool you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the locked on college basketball podcast every monday andy Patton and isaac shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball keep you up to date on the ncaa tournament bubble and get you ready for the upcoming week of games from the big east to the mountain west and everywhere in between andy and isaac have college hoops covered on the locked on college basketball podcast available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day And as we continue rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day every day. Thank you for that. Tomorrow's episode, I keep, I, I don't know why. I, first off, I didn't even know today was Friday until I woke up, for real. But I always had a bad habit of saying tomorrow's episode when we're on Friday. But on Monday's episode, I'm going to dive into Isaiah Major, the linebacker from FAMU. Got a little film of him. I'm going to break him down and see exactly what I see because I, I like him when I watch him just live. But I'm going to break him down a little bit more. But right now, because he was a transfer guy too, we're going to look into the MEAC and how they're not really active in the transfer portal. And I just thought that was so interesting to me. For this segment, we're going to still use the same hero sports stats that we use when discussing Jackson State because they just broke down FBS and FCS, right? And everybody has this MEAC versus SWAT conversation. I understand it, as you should, right? You have this versus conversation and everything. AFC versus NFC, Western Conference versus Eastern Conference, SEC versus whoever you want to put second, Big Ten maybe, right? So you have these conversations in all the sports of comparing conferences and associations. Heck, we even do NBA versus NFL. Like, I, ex- I understand. But these two have a matchup at the end of the year. We compare them. But instead of comparing wins and losses and head-up matchup, I wanted to look into how they are building their roster, at least this year, because I think that's kind of interesting. All the other stuff matters, too. But right now, how much are each conference or how much is each conference building up in the transfer portal? That's something that I want to look at. So. I know that North Carolina Central is not that active in the transfer portal. I know that they said that Coach Oliver mentioned that. So this is something that I already knew. But I wasn't quite sure about the habits and tendencies of the other schools in the MEAC. Now, this doesn't say anything except for what happened this year. But this year, they weren't that active. We'll use the two groups that Hero Sports had, right? So FBS to FCS. So think big, small, right? Because FCS are smaller schools population-wise. They just have less enrollment. Um, then FCS to FCS. So we're going to say FBS to FCS is group A, big to small. Small to small, lateral, we're going to say is group B. All right, so you look at Morgan State. Morgan State has zero A players, four B players, so four total. North Carolina Central has two A players, one B player. That's three total. Norfolk State is the one exception. 
Norfolk State is the one school that is like, oh, you're really active in the transfer portal. And I don't even know if I consider them really active. They're just really active compared to other MEAC schools. But you have five A transfers and four B transfers. That makes nine total. Howard has two A transfers, no B transfers. Give them two. Delaware State has two as well, but only two B transfers. Then South Carolina State has three B transfers, no A transfers, and that's three. Overall, you don't need to get caught up too much in which is A, which is B, unless you really want to, then run it back a little bit. But the point is the total at the end, Morgan State 4, North Carolina Central 3, Norfolk State 9, Howard 2, Delaware State 2, South Carolina State 3. When you're looking at them, that's 4, 7, 16, 18, 20, 23. That's 23 transfers for the whole conference. That's six teams. Jackson State by themselves had 26. One school had three more. Now, this doesn't matter, right? Like, like let's not say, well, what do all those transfers mean? Not a thing. They don't mean a thing. I'm not, I'm not saying a word. I'm just saying they have more transfers. We're talking about how the roster is constructed. That's all it means. There's no, no alternate, nothing. This is just point blank, nothing to read between the lines. Jackson State has a bunch of transfers. The MEAC doesn't. You look at Norfolk State, they have nine, right? They have nine. Outside of them, nobody has more than four. Nobody else has more than four other than Norfolk State within the MEAC. Okay. Jackson State, and we're only going to talk group A transfers for this. We're not even doing totals. Jackson State has 14. Alabama A&M has 12. FAMU has 12. Grambling has seven. Mississippi Valley has five. Bethune-Cookman has five. That's six schools that have more A transfers than most of the MEAC has altogether. It's crazy to me. I just wonder what that is. Is that a conscious decision to say, we don't really want to be that active in a transfer portal? Is this a situation where, because we're looking at A groups, so this is big to small, what is it in the recruiting? Desire? I don't know, attractiveness? I don't think so because South Carolina State won a championship just last year, North Carolina Central is the defending champions, but I can probably write them off as saying they don't really want that. They don't really desire it. They're not reaching or looking for it for the most part. Howard, Howard was second place last year. They were a really good team. They took a big step up. They still have a really good quarterback, right? A second team, all MEAC quarterback. A guy that my guy, Coach G, just came in and told me he thinks could push Davius Richard for the best in the MEAC and the best in the country as far as HBCUs go. So they have the talent. And not only do they have the talent, they have the brand. There's not many HBCUs that can go toe-to-toe with Howard when it comes to brand. Let's just be real. And if you're objecting, sit there and really think if you can nationally go toe-to-toe with Howard. There's not many. I'm not going to name them because I'll forget somebody because I will catch a brain fart. So I don't want to disrespect anybody. But not many HBCUs can go toe-to-toe with Howard when it comes to branding. Period. You have branding plus talent at Howard. Yet Howard only gets two A transfers and no B transfers. So, yeah, they get the most A transfers in the MEAC. I guess that lines up. But only two transfers, period. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. Is it you're not reaching for it? Is it that you, people just aren't attractive? Like, I, I no disrespect. If, it's not, if we're talking about need, I just can't see how Norfolk State is more attractive than Howard. I can't see how Alabama A&M is more attractive than Howard. I can't see how Mississippi Valley or Bethune-Cookman 
is more attractive than Howard. But meanwhile, you look at Norfolk State, who brings in nine transfers total, and they're the team who is probably overhauling because they lost some talent to the, to the transfer portal as well. So I think that might kind of point to the necessity. Same with Bethune-Cookman. It might point to the necessity of it all. I don't know. That's something to look at. But overall, I just thought it was so fascinating that the MEAC as a whole, not only the figurehead in North Carolina Central, the defending champions, the MEAC as a whole just was not active in the transfer portal. Got me something to watch. I might check that out coming up next year. I know it's a year from now. Hopefully I remember. But that'll be something that I'll be watching to see if it's a trend or if this was just kind of a one-off. But let's look at something that's about to be a trend. Let's dive into this XFL draft because they are expanding the rosters. And not only does the expanded roster mean more opportunities, the timeline of this draft means more opportunities for HBCU players. We'll dive into it on Locked on HBCU. And as we're wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I appreciate you for making us your first listen of the day, every day, making it all the way to segment three. And I thank you two times for that. I really do appreciate it. So the XFL has opened up another door when it comes for HBCU players. This is extremely good because we're talking about prospects. We're not just talking about players. So if you graduate in 2021, this ain't for you right now. I'm sure there's still opportunities in the XFL and the USFL and the CFL and all the other leagues out there. But this is for players who are eligible in the 2023 NFL draft. And those players who are eligible for the 2023 NFL draft have to also not be on a roster. right? So you have to have both of those criteria checked, not just one. You have to have both of them checked in order to be drafted. So. First off, like I said, they're expanding the roster to 90 spots. So you're about to have 90 players on each XFL roster. Love that. I absolutely love that. I got into XFL football kind of late, kind of late. And I think it had to do, be real, which you had to do with the with the Renegades picking up a little bit of success. But, you know, I watched the game against the defenders. They lost that game, but they were, they were fighting. Then I went to the Roughnecks game, the Renegades Roughnecks game. They kind of got whooped up on I was like, dang, man. But then we beat the Ren- Anyway, y'all know how it goes, man. We end up being the champions. Where my hat at? Ah, it's too far. It's too far. Womp womp. My flag's not over here either. Y'all lucky. I was going to brag. I was going to brag for real. But anywho, the point is, this draft has a lot of great things about it. There's a lot of great things about this opportunity in general. But the one thing that I'm going to dive into, and I think it's, it's the thing that should be hammered in on, is the, is the dates involved in this. Start date, draft date, right? Opt-out date. All of those things are important. But the draft is June 16th. And the reason that's so important and so beneficial is it allows HBCU players to go through some of the NFL process. Now, you're not going to opt out of your NFL deal. You're not going to do that. But what if you just get cut? What if you go through these dates and they're like, you know what? You're not really performing the way you, we want you to. Now, you look at the USFL. They did it before the NFL draft happened. And their season started either the day of or like the week after, something like that. Very close proximity to the NFL draft. I hated that because it made the players have to make a choice. 
It made them have to make a choice, and I wasn't a fan of it, right? But this XFL draft, their season's already done. The draft is going to be June 16th. So you're looking at June 16th. Let's look at some of the offseason dates for the Arizona Cardinals because every team is different. So I'm just going to look at it one team. Arizona Cardinals start their first day of workouts April 17th. April 11th, excuse me. Voluntary minicamp, April 25th to the 27th. OTA off-season workouts, let's just say starts May 22nd, ends June 8th, right? Then mandatory minicamp is June 13th through the 15th. What comes after the 15th? The 16th. Let's say you don't make it through that mandatory minicamp day. Let's say you're not making it through the OTAs. Let's say they just find somebody else they want to put on the roster and they replace you because that's what happens. It's not like, oh, man, this dude's not cutting it. No, we just finally got to deal with somebody else, and somebody has to be a a casualty. Somebody has to get cut to make room for this other guy we wanted. And what if that just so happens to be this player from, I don't know, let's just say Texas Southern, because it's my school. I don't want to take shots at nobody. I know I ain't ain't taking shots at my school. But let's just say this Texas Southern linebacker gets cut because they need to bring in this running back who's a four-year veteran. Okay, cool. So you have that, but now what happens? You're eligible for the XFL draft. And if you get picked up in the XFL draft, or if you don't, they have an undrafted class. So it's not just the draftees. I love that. They're moving like the NFL now. So if you don't get selected in the NFL draft, but you get picked up as a UDFA, or if you get picked up in the XFL draft, excuse me, XFL draft, now you have until May, no, excuse me, December 13th, week 16 of the NFL season, and you can opt out. If at any point within the season, the NFL comes calling and say, hey, we want you to be on the practice squad. We want you to come in on the roster. We want you to come in for training camp because it's all that time in between June 16th. Anything could happen. The same way that you got picked up or you got cut because somebody got picked up, you can now get picked up because somebody got cut. They play that game. There's people who get cut and picked up all the time in the NFL training camp time, right? Oh, this guy got cut on a Friday. Don't worry. Next Wednesday, he'll be back. That's just the way that it goes a lot of times, you know? So, When you're looking at it, I feel like it's very important to remember that don't be on a roster or you can't be on a roster, had to be eligible for the draft. And then if you get drafted by the XFL, you can still go to the NFL. They still have opt-out dates. Very player-friendly. Very player-friendly. I love this personally, right? And like I said, opt-out December 13th. It's perfectly set up. You have still every opportunity, and the season doesn't start until next year. So even if you don't get picked up, you can go through next year's season and then come in in the fall. So there's XFL players who got tryouts, got invited to camp this year. This year. The New Orleans Saints picked up a roughneck defensive tackle, right? So it, it happens. If you don't get drafted or you don't make the training camp this year, use the 2024 XFL season. As an audition for the 2024 NFL training camp. I love this for players. And you know what? To me, this signifies the success of the XFL, right? Because in the XFL this year, it's the first year back in a while. You know, like I think it's like two years, but it's the first back, first year with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So you're looking at, all right, what's going to be the success of this place? And at the end of the year, we're not discussing longevity. We're not discussing, I don't know if this is going to be around for long. We're discussing expansion. To me, that signifies it's been a financial success. And also, as far as just viewership goes, people have been tuning in because this is going to cost more money. So you probably hedged your bets. I think it was 51 players. Now you're going to jump up to 90. 
I love it. This is more opportunities, more roster spots to fill, more people who are able to play professional football, more people who are able to continue their dream. This is beautiful. You know, thank you, The Rock. Thank you for my renegades. Thank you for all of them. Thank you for the defenders, right? Thank you to Reggie Barlow because it's over now. I'm still rooting for Barlow. The game's over. So thank you to the renegades, the roughnecks, the defenders. Those are the three teams that I, I rock with, but mostly the renegades. You know this, though. Another thing that you do know is to continue making us your first listen of the day every day on Fridays. Oh, man, I tried not to say tomorrow. I said today. But <laughs> on Monday's episode, we're going to be back discussing Isaiah Major, the Florida A&M linebacker. I have some film of his that I'm going to break down as we come back over from the weekend. And in the meantime, in between time, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care. Stay blessed. Peace.